0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com
1: slash four keys and download your free copy. I got some advice um, from an individual that said, you're gonna have a lot of different men and a lot of different people that come into your life and you need to see past their weaknesses and see their greatnesses. Take their weaknesses as their faults of man and take their greatness as their ability to change the world. I'm Srini Rao,
0: and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
1: I'm honored to be on the
0: program man well you know I I came across you uh by way of a link that uh my friend Chris Ducker had tweeted and I went and followed your project and I I looked at it on kickstarter and I thought yeah this is a story that we have to tell so rather than me giving it away uh why don't you tell us a a little bit about yourself your journey your story and your background and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today
1: big question start off right with the big one Mm -hmm. um you know, my story is, it depends on which avenue that you, you know, you come into my story, because I, I kind of have a two-headed monster. So let me give a little bit of background uh, for the audience, then we'll go into this, you know, the Kickstarter page that you're talking about. You know, my my early years were, were a journey, to say the least. At the age of one, I was abandoned by, by my biological father. At the age of six and a half, I was abandoned by my biological mother uh, in that time, in that short window of time, between one and six and a half, I had a stepfather who was a very dark human being, and I was sexually abused, uh, physically abused, tortured, um, all kinds of craziness, uh, dark stuff and that continued actually into uh, you know after being abandoned, you kind of go through a whole process of life where you don 't have an you don 't have an identity you don 't have a family there 's a lot of different pieces that we take for granted. Uh, that you quickly realize how important that they are and there was a lot more abuse that continued through my um, my childhood in fact probably up until about 17 18 years old i was dealing with different forms of abuse from different types of step parents or you know foster facilities or whatever else i was i was going into and that led me to be you know to just have my own issues my own insecurities my own uh, dark demons and uh, before the age of 16, I had tried to commit suicide 12 documented times, and I, I say documented because there were many more times that people didn't know about, rooms that I sat in, uh, loneliness that I endured, uh, but obviously uh, at 16 years old, some things changed for me. I had some life-altering, changing activities, one of which being that um, not caused by me, but caused by the medications and drugs that they had put me on, I, uh, my liver failed. And I was dying, and I was sitting in a hospital, and I was being told by doctors that I had an 80% chance of death and a 20% chance of life. And the reason that I was in that predicament is because of the pills and everything that they had been giving me to deal with all of my turmoil and pain, and uh, they'd given me a bunch of crazy labels, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar, you know, ADD, HD. I mean, I had almost every label. I was on 25 different medications every single day about half of those were medications to deal with the problems and the other half were to deal with the side effects from the pills that were supposed to fix the problems but they weren't obviously uh, i was still very sad and emotional and kind of distressed and so at 16 years old i was laying there and i had this decision to make was i going to continue listening to these doctors these these you know individuals who had it all right who knew what they were doing or was i going to basically give them the middle finger and say you know enough is enough it's i'm I'm not going to live like this anymore. And and obviously I wouldn't be on this podcast if I hadn't chose the latter. I chose the latter that I wasn't going to live like this anymore. And that day I stopped all 25 uh, medications, went cold turkey, uh, which if anyone is listening is in the medical industry, um, that's that's not a good thing. Um, if if you've ever seen any drug, you know, anyone coming off drug withdrawals, um, you kind of understand what I went through. But I was on 25 legal, illegal drugs in the sense that most of the drugs that I were on were one or two chemical compounds away from being stuff that we try to keep off the street. So when I went through this withdrawal, it was a really interesting experience physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, You know, it was three days that I spent in the fetal position, but for me, it felt like hours or moments, um, but I literally didn't come out of the fetal position for three days. Uh, And that was a life-changing experience for me in every aspect And in that moment, in that day, I made a decision to become a hero, um, to become a hero to myself. I didn't know that that would lead me on a journey of now really creating a mission to change the world in the sense of the 25 million youth that are in the United States, and there's a million more around the world who are suffering with some form of abuse or neglect. Uh, The individuals, 13 Every 13 minutes, a child is lost in this country to suicide. Every minute, a child attempts suicide. I had no idea that that decision I would make when I was 16 years old would forever change my life and send me on a course that would not only empower me, but give me the ability to help so many others. And that leads us to the the Kickstarter page that you were talking about, is that we are, for the first time, we've been doing this now for a few years, but for the first time, we're publicly, you know, asking for support from, uh, the community saying, we want to take this to the next level and impact more lives. And and so we're, you know, like anyone else trying to raise some money on Kickstarter so we can have the resources to go to the next level. So that's kind of a quick, dirty version. Um, there's a whole nother side of my life that people thought they knew about me, uh, because of my childhood and all this distress and all these things that I was going under. Uh, I was trying to be as normal using air quotes as I possibly could be. And I found, that I could I could be something and have an identity in entrepreneurialism, um, and so I dove in and started my first business when I was eight and a half years old. Made five hundred dollars that day and never looked back. Um, Really focused on entrepreneurialism, uh, you know, was on the who's who's list, uh, was self-sufficient by the time I was 16 as well. I mean, there was just a lot of different aspects of my life, but nobody really knew this torment that I was living in, this hell that I was living in. I was consulting Microsoft and and King and G&K and major, you know, uh, major corporations and then going home at night and, and thinking about ending it all. So it was this really weird thing that I lived in, this really weird place that I existed in. And it was my reality, and it was also my, you know, fiction as well. And so that that all came to a screeching halt a few years ago when I decided to found a human project, which is, you know, our nonprofit, our for-purpose organization that is now in seven different countries uh, around the world. Um, we're growing exponentially, uh, you know. The right person sends the right tweet, and things change. So it's it's been it's been amazing. I mean, you and I are talking because of the right person sending the right tweet. So okay. you just never know what's going to happen. But that's it. That's where we're at right now.
0: Cool. All right. So there is a, a ton of stuff here, and I want to dig back into all of it in a lot more depth. Um, you know, I want to start with this notion of abandonment and a loss of identity that happens when you're so young. And I'm interested in how you start to find your identity after it's been lost, Uh, because I think to some degree, we all lose a part of our identities as a byproduct of just growing up. And in a lot of ways, to me, the journey of any creative person or anybody who's done something of great significance is finding their identity again.
1: Exactly. Exactly and and i think that you know you're exactly right we all i call it the core you know when i when i do my teaching and i work with individuals i call it the core we we all have a core that we we come here with right it's it's, it's it is our identity it's who we are and unfortunately even in a normal everything's you know copacetic situation we lose that uh, relationship with our core we never lose our core i think that's something that people um are mis, misguided by. We we never lose who we are. We never lose our identity. That that's never gone. It's always there. What what happens is we lose the connection to that identity. We lose the relationship to that identity. We lose the the ability to pull from that. And that's because of all these different things. So when something traumatic happens to somebody like that, it, it creates even more barriers, more roadblocks, more you know brick walls, whatever whatever analogy you want to come up with and it's very difficult for somebody unguided to get back to that 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 uh, ability to communicate with your core again it's always there i, I always love this this and it's you know hot right now in the self-help world of you know, find your purpose find your passion and it's in and i just laugh at that because you're not you know it's not that it's some fictional thing that you can't find it's inside of you you just have to have that conversation with yourself i mean Again, just my personal story is that I thought my passion and my existence was to be an entrepreneur and to make millions of dollars and wear three thousand dollar suits and have nine cars and a house on the hill, Mm. which I had all of that and it was great and it was fun and it was fantastic, but that wasn't me. That never was. I thought it was. Mm. You know, I mean, people would joke all the time with me that I was born in a suit. Mm. You know, literally like, you know, you would you wouldn't see me not in a suit. Like I (laughs) I remember going to a lake once, and they invited me, and I'm like, "Oh, what do you wear?" And they're like, "Shorts." I'm like, "I don't have shorts." You know, it's like, it's like, so, but, but again, that's that's not me, you know. Now I'm a I'm a down to earth mountain man. You know, I live up in, on the top of a mountain, and and I like to dress that way. I like to be comfortable. Suits are not very comfortable, uh-huh. um, you know. So again, it's it's you lose. You're exactly right. You lose this connection with your core, your identity, but you don't lose your identity. It's there. You just have to find it. And then when you find that relationship with it, the assets and the skills and the techniques and the, the lessons, everything that you've learned mm. can now be incorporated into that so that you can express your identity. And they, people say that that's finding your voice, right? It's like, oh, you right. found your voice. No, you figured out how to use your voice. Um, it's never lost. It's never gone. And, and that's the key is that so many people are searching for something that they think is lost, but in reality, what they need to do is learn how to create the skills to communicate with something that's always been there. That's the shift. That's where you. That's where the power is found. And, and again, going to me at sixteen, that's when I started realizing that. Wait a minute! All of these things that had happened to me, all these things that had, that I had endured, all these stories that that were mine, they were they were power. That was my power. That was my gift. That was my ability. And, and again, I didn't fully comprehend that until, you know, uh, tomorrow, excuse me, uh, Saturday. So a couple, I don't know when this is going to air, but you know, for me in a couple of days, I'm getting on a plane and I'm heading to do a speaking tour in Texas. Mm-hmm. And one of the individuals that I will be speaking with has been raped 30 times. Um, they're 17 years old. They've had one miscarriage and one abortion, 17 years old and been raped by 30 different people. Now, again, s- a good chunk of that is based on habits and based on the situations that they have put themselves in Their their sexual abuse started when they were seven years old. And so you can just imagine, you know, the, the torture that they've lived through, but my ability to go into that situation really with a power that very few, and, I, and I'm not being cocky and I'm not meaning this in an, in an egotistical way. It's just something that I've learned. Very few people have the ability to do that without coming out on the other end Effed up, you know. I don't know what I can say on your program, but you know, I don't know how many people can do that. And I get asked that over and over again. How are you able to sit with people and hear their stories, and not just hear their stories, but help them heal and have them see their power and see their abilities, and then go home and you know play Monopoly with your family? Like, how how do you do that? And and I don't know. I, I really don't have like an answer where I'm like, oh, well, here's the secret. It's just it's part of my identity. It's, it's what I am able to do just as much as I was able to be a six year old little boy and endure the torture that I went through. I'm able to, to take that identity and that power and now impact other people's lives. And so it's crucial that we understand our identity, but it's also not abnormal. If we're sitting here saying, I don't know, I, I don't where, you know, how do I communicate with it? Where is it? And, and like I said, the shift is it's, it's right there. It's you that has to learn how to communicate with it.
0: Man, you're like full of poetic nuggets. This is going to be amazing. I can already tell our audience is going to love you. I I want (laughs) to talk about this idea of expressing your identity, uh, which that really resonated with me because I look at the expression of identity and I see it happen in so many different forms. And... The question, I guess, for me is how you take the experiences of your life, your talents, your skills, and find whatever it is that is meant to be the expression of your identity.
1: Yeah, and that's a great question. That, and that's kind of that like finding your purpose, finding your passion question, right? Right. Just r- worded a little bit, little bit more. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> effectively, yeah. And, and really, that comes down to it's not, the, here, here's the short answer it's not difficult once you understand your core, once you understand your identity, once you have that relationship. So it's, it's almost counterproductive for you to sit there and wonder how you're going to do it. Um, because once you have that relationship with yourself, it just comes, it, it just happens. You know I mean? It's a lot like writers, you know, anyone who's a writer, anyone who writes or anything, you know, the question always comes out, well, how did you, how did you come up with that? Or how did you write that? Or how did that, you know, come out of you? And it's like, I don't know. I just I knew what I was what I was doing, and it came. You know, last night I wrote a piece called "Red," um, the color, and I wrote it on top of a mountain. Literally, um, I'm. It's an awesome photo that I was able to take. But I was on top of this mountain. It was it was twelve o'clock at night, or uh, so twelve o'clock in the morning, and I wrote this piece, and I literally wrote it in. Eight minutes. Um, I don't know. It's seven hundred words, eight hundred words, and it's all about m- one of my experiences with suicide, and kind of coming out of that and my rebirth. And I wrote it and just published it this morning. And you know, it's already had a couple hundred shares, and I'm getting messages and and people say, "How do you? How did you write that? How did you put that together? It's, this is you know, blah blah blah." And, and I'm not an amazing writer. It's not about that, but it just happened because. I was in such. I I mean, I for me personally, I am in such an amazing position of communication with my core and my identity that it just happens. And so, thus, finding my purpose or finding what drives me, it's it's not it's not an obstacle. It's not an illusion. It's now so clear. I mean, obviously, there's some marketing things and how do we get the message out just right and all those kinds of things. But for me personally, it's clear. I, I don't have any question about what I should be doing or if I'm doing the right thing because of that relationship. So don't don't worry so much about how are you going to do it, because again, it will present itself and an authentic honesty, you know vulnerable raw, all those words that marketers like to ruin you know, it it's, it's the reality there's one thing that all of us can do perfectly without fail, none of us need training well, I guess we do need some training on us so that's the wrong thing but but none of us are less equipped than anyone else to do this one thing as, as human beings. Mm -hmm. And that is to be honest. The problem is, is that until we're honest with ourselves, we cannot be honest with the rest of the world. And that is the hardest thing. You know, I have an entire uh, course that I teach adults called superhuman life. And, I've redefined a lot of these words, you know, that that people use on a daily basis, like the word honest and hope and understanding and all these different, you know, simplistic words that people just throw out there with their thinking and and honest is one of those. All of us have the ability to be incredibly honest, to be incredibly vulnerable, to be incredibly raw and we're, you know, none of us have a, you know, upper hand against the other except for the fact that we need to learn what those words actually mean and and really you know, drive ourselves into an entire concept of of understanding, an entire concept of identity. You know, for me, the word honest means to accept the transparent reality of your core identity. You know, so this is what we're talking about, right? To, to In order to be, to have your passion, have your purpose, all that stuff, you have to accept the transparent reality of who you are. And that may not be the pretty little pictures that you're posting on Instagram. That may not be the status updates. Mm-hmm. But you've identified an unobstructed reality and have found clarity in your existence. You know why you're here, and there may be some dark shit. I almost, I don't know. Can I swear on your yeah, program? go for okay, it. Okay, sorry. I mean, there may be some dark shit there. You know, there may be some things that you don't really like. Want the world to know, but guess what? They need to know that because that's who you are. Uh-huh. You know, there's some darkness inside of me that's real, and and it's not you know, it's like the two wolves thing and all that other stuff. Like. Right. I totally disagree with that. You feed both of them. Otherwise you're not who you are. That doesn't mean that you don't have limitations because we're human beings that exist in a society. But to say that your darkness is evil or your darkness cannot be seen or your darkness is now you're just you're you're just effing with your mind. You're just making yourself, you know, so weak because you're not understanding and having a unobstructed reality of who you are. So anyway. Wow. Uh, so actually this
0: raises a question that I've probably brought up before. Uh, and it's about vulnerability and knowing where you have to draw sort of the line of going too far, because like you said, we have to exist in society and it's interesting, right? Because when you and I are in the positions we're in, when many of the people are, you know, who are listening or in the positions they're in, our lives are incredibly publicly on display as creators and people who contribute to this whole ecosystem of madness on the internet. And, <clears throat> having kind of been through, you know, what you have, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on where that fine line is that you can't cross or where you should, you know, where that line is that should be contained to a therapist office.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you have children? No, I don't. Okay. So the answer is always, is easier when you do, but, um, anything that, that wouldn't, uh, effect, not affect effect an infection your children in the sense that, uh, I have a son and a daughter, and you know one of my missions, because of of who my biological father is, is that one of my missions is to reclaim the Chapman name. You know, reclaim our last name, because I have a I have a son, and and I've never been proud. I, I love my father. Um, you know, I've only met him a little bit. Um, but uh, he's my father, and I respect that. But the reality is, is that our name, the Chapman name, is not a it, it's not a name that you you know say with pride. Usually, it's a name that people laugh at. And so, my goal is to to, you know, create a new standard for what it means to be a Chapman. And so the vulnerability line goes to, is this going to infect my children when I'm gone? You know, is this going to be a disease for them or is this going to be something that they can look at and say, my father did this and I am so proud of him. You know, I'm going to tear up a little bit because very few things get me to cry, but my kids do all the time. But, you know, I'm proud of him. And so in that vulnerability, there has to be the honest, there has to be the raw, there has to be the real, but there also has to be this concept of, you know, you don't have to put yourself into a position of shame or abuse or pain. Everything that I do, every article I write, every post I do, every interview I do, every, every everything I do, yes, it's real, it's raw, I'll tell crazy stories, I'll, I'll get deep with people, I'm very uncomfortable to read some of the things that I write, but... At the end, my goal is to make you see that this is the reality, but this is the outcome that can happen. Mm -hmm. This is where you can go. And I think too many people are scared to do that because of political correctness or because of this or that or whatever. I got the best compliment from a school principal a couple of weeks ago after one of my presentations where he said, you know, his exact words were, I think the reason that Wes is able to connect so well with the students is because of his raw honestness. And then he stopped and it's, it's in the testimonial. He stopped for a second. He said, you know, no, he's just politically incorrect. (laughs) And I was like, yes, you know, thank you. Like, I mean, and I don't mean that in an offensive way, but sometimes, you know, I was watching the West Wing, which is one of my favorite shows. And I think it was done in like 2002, whatever. I don't know. Some, sometime long ago. And they were giving this speech about a, uh, uh, one of the judges that had died, one of the Supreme Court judges that was going to die. And Toby, one of the guys, was writing the speech real quickly. And, and the press secretary was like jotting it down. And he said, you know, he was a man that all men can be proud of or something, some, some line like that. And she goes, no, 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 you can't say that. And he goes, are you kidding me? She's like, no, I get letters. And he's like, okay, that all Homo sapiens can be proud of. <laughs> and I was like, this was, you know, done 10 years ago, whatever. And it was such a problem. Uh-huh. I mean just think about the things we can and can't say because someone's going to be offended and really what that means is that somebody has pain that they haven't healed and so we're we're you know we're triggering that and then rather than them fixing their situation and and becoming healed we're all just going to be hypersensitive and not deal with anything and and that doesn't work you know and so I'm very blunt and I'm very bold but like I said that vulnerability line is is that at the end of it are my children going to be proud is this going to help you know heal the situation Mm -hmm. you know my tagline for seo which doesn't do me much good on my website is it's time to you know it's 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 time to heal not hate Mm -hmm. um and that's the reality of it and that's a powerful thing when you really think about it because hate is is a byproduct of offense and look no one i don't think the majority of human beings i would go as far as saying like 90 percent of the 7.6 billion people on this planet are not trying to hurt other people by their words they're simply just expressing their emotions and their feelings as best as they can. And we are handicapping so many people by throwing these, this stupidity of political correctness or offensiveness because we don't want to hurt somebody who's already been hurt. And what we should be talking about is how are we going to help heal that person? And unfortunately, healing is a lot like stopping and taking 20, you know, stopping the 25 medications every day. There's going to be some withdrawals, it's going to be painful. You may be in the fetal position. But when you come out of it, if you've done it correctly, you don't have to deal with it anymore. You know, I don't deal with my flashbacks or pain or any of that stuff. I don't. I mean, it's there. It's real. Sometimes I'll tear up over some of the stories that I write or some of the things that I put out there. But I'm not I'm not captivated by it. I'm not holding myself to it every single moment of every single day. Unfortunately, you know, I just met a 55-year-old woman who's in a wheelchair Uh, who hasn't been able to be herself, hasn't been able to communicate with her core, hasn't been able to do anything with her life since she was 13 years old. Well, magically something happened at 13 years old. She was raped. So from 13 to 50, she's continued to allow herself to be raped and it's paralyzed her literally. And I'm not a healer and I'm not talking about, you know, that kind of stuff, but I promise you when she's done with our course, she will start to mobilize herself she you know i'm not going to say she'll walk again but i won't be surprised if she does if she, you know not in a i'm not being all spiritual on people even though i believe in in god i'm saying that just the power of the mind she's she's literally paralyzed her mind which is left in a byproduct of paralyzing herself there's so many studies done on on how powerful our minds can be and back pains and shoulder pains and liver problems all this stuff well she herself has been trapped in her 13 year old position Mm -hmm. for, you know, for almost 40 years now. And so, you know, the, the point is, is that you, you can have this raw, authentic realism. Um, you can share your story. Just the caveat is, is that share with a purpose of healing, not a purpose of pain or not a purpose of like pity or shame, shaming somebody or any of that stuff. And then, you know, just thinking about, in when I'm gone, <clears throat> and my daughter reads this or my grandchild reads this, is this going to be something that they are proud of, or is this going to be something that they're like, "Wow, I wish he would have never said that or put that out there"? I think that's a pretty clear way of just of establishing the line. Wow.
0: So, uh, let's talk about this in a bit more detail. Uh, you, you mentioned you know being abandoned by multiple groups of parents, you know, biological parents, foster parents, and I'm interested and how that impacted your identity, and how that also impacted your sense of self-sufficiency, and of course, how we start to develop a sense of self-sufficiency without having to go through such horrible things.
1: Yeah, great question. So, you know, I, ha- I have a hero in my life, uh, which was, uh, ended up being my biological grandmother. She was the individual that finally, at eight and a half years old, was, was started the battle of getting me um, in her custody. I was never adopted. I was always an award of the state which was its own issues at any moment in time somebody could knock on the door and take me away which happened a couple of times but we were able to kind of stabilize it uh, about when I was 13 14 years old. So this this whole but I had a lot of different men in and out of my life. Uh, I never had a father. Um, whether it would be church leaders, Boy Scout leaders, teachers, stepfathers, you know, whatever. I never had a stable father. My grandmother, when she um, took me in, was single, which actually was a whole other battle that she had to fight because she wasn't a, quote-unquote, in the 80s. You know, she wasn't a ideal candidate for uh, fostering. And so um, there was a lot of different things. And, and I, I got some advice um, from an individual that said, you're going to have a lot of different men and a lot of different people that come into your life and you need to see past their weaknesses and see their greatnesses, take their weaknesses as their faults of man and take their greatness as their ability to change the world. And I kind of, you know, when you're young and you get something like that and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> Who's this poetic weirdo? You know, it's like, what the heck's going on? And now that I look back at, it, I'm like, wow, that was the best advice I ever got in my entire life. And this person didn't know me. That that was really the, the beauty of this, is this person didn't know me from Adam. They were actually a, an individual. It was just like a scout leader kind of person. Um, and I was just in their, their group for a couple of days when they told me this advice. And I look at my career. I look at, you know, everything. And I, I've been around some incredibly powerful people, you know, everybody from Bill Gates to you know the founder of 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 Costco mm-hmm. you know I, i've been around some really amazing people, you know Gary Vaynerchuk is one of my good friends, I mean Chris Tucker, like you talked about i mean I'm around a lot of a really powerful men and women as well, but this was a specific thing for you know targeting for me because my identity was very lost in the sense of fatherhood and who was, who was who was going to be my dad. And I was constantly seeking that. And I think this individual saw that. I was constantly looking for that father. I, I want, I mean, we all want a, you know, a mom and a dad. That, that's just natural. It's human, it's, it's a human right. And I was looking for that and I just, you know, couldn't find it. But this was so poetic and so powerful because what, what happened was in this journey of trying to find my father, which was also trying to find my, you know, that my communication with myself is that I was constantly let down. I was constantly failed on. I was constantly ignored. You know, somebody that didn't even know that they were a father figure was a father figure to me and then they would do something that was so simplistic but to me was so horrific that it would paralyze me. You know, they would end a relationship. They would stop. I mean, I I let this happen in business where I, I got personal with my clients because I was, you know, somebody was paying me half a million dollars to do something for them and then i saw their lifestyle and who they were and their beautiful family and i was like oh my gosh like you've trusted me with half a million dollars so i'm like your son you know so this is awesome and then i would come into their lives in that this thing and then the half a million dollar contract would end and they'd be like hey thanks for the work and i'd be like but wait i love you and that sounds so like morbid and crazy but that's how my mind was it's like no you are you're filling the role of, my, of being my father and then they would disappoint me or I had other situations where I saw the re- realness of corporate America and I would you know, be in meetings of, of people who I thought were great men and great leaders and they were manipulating or you know, cheating on their wives with their secretaries or whatever else. I've seen a lot of different things in my, in my existence and how poetic was that that we, I was to see past their, their flaws, their weaknesses of man and see their greatness and take from that and put into myself and so again, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, I, I'm able to take all these lessons and then now that I have this amazing communication with my core and my identity, all those lessons now get transplanted on top of that, on top of who I am. And now I'm able to regurgitate things in my voice, in my way, in, in my with my understanding, with also this, this incredible arsenal of knowledge and intelligence. And I'm not holding on to the negativity. It's only the positivity that I'm, that I'm holding to which thus creates more positivity now again you've got to have some of that you know that that negative charge, but you know for the most point for the most part excuse me it's uh you know it, it's positive and it's there, and so for somebody who hasn't been through something like that, it's still the same exact formula if you haven't been through losing a father or you know you've got you're just trying to seek stop with the negativity, focus on the positives of people and who they are and their and, and their gifts and and if you need to get somebody out of your life because they're toxic, that's totally different. But don't look at that as a toxic situation. Look at it as if this is what I learned from this. You know, I have a crazy story of meeting the man who abused me um, right, after, right after this whole 16-year-old um, dropping the drugs and going through that whole process. i I met, you know, not met in the sense of like, hey, how are you doing? But saw the individual that had molested me uh, for six years of my life I saw that individual, and I was in a place and a position both of stature um, and every other possibility that I could have literally killed him. Um, he was a, not a, uh, I think he finally got citizenship, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh, quote-unquote American uh, at the time. Um, he was, you know, working at a job that nobody knew he was working at, and he was being paid, you know, under the table kind of thing. And I was in an abandoned location. I, I could have killed him. I literally could have killed him. And the, you know, the core essence of, of who I am has that, you know, may have that ability. And I remember being in that moment and thinking about how do I, you know, where's the positivity in this situation, right? Where's the positivity in this man? And it was there and I, and I found it and I was able to literally laugh at the situation and think that here I was in, you know, my moment of, of clarity, I was in my moment of power and this person across the street, you know, in this field working, this person was still trapped in, a, in an alternate universe, if you would. He was still trapped in this, this non-reality of who he was. And it wasn't his fault. And that is so, like, people yell at me every time I say that. What do you mean it wasn't his fault? You know, and you hear some of the stories and things that he did to myself and my siblings, but it wasn't. And, and that clarity and that understanding, that's a different place. That's a different, you know, that, that's, it's a hard place to get to. If any of you are listening to this and you've been abused, it's a difficult place to be in, but that's where the power is. I now have complete power over the situation. He's not molesting me anymore. He's not hurting me. He's not touching me. He's not doing anything to me. I'm, I'm able to, to live in this complete clarity and understanding because i'm seeing the positive of the situation and i'm focusing on that i'm focusing on look what this has done for my life look what this is doing you know and again i didn't have this perspective at 16 but i knew that it was changing my life i felt different but now fast forwarding to you know 34 look what it's been able to do to millions you know i have a dream of of impacting 25 million people's lives and when i said that 2 years ago people thought i was crazy and it's happening, you know, it's, it's happening. Hundreds of thousands have been impacted, and I, and I know that because I've, I've gotten the messages, I've, I've read the emails, I've seen the shares, I've, you know, I've got a podcast that has over, you know, four million downloads, like, it's happening. People are being impacted by the, by the message, which is, in reality, which is gonna sound really morbid and crazy to the mass to the majority of this audience, it's because of that man. Mm. And that is so empowering, that I know that I have the ability to overcome something as horrific as what happened to me. And, and, you know, you can read some of the stories on my blog about it, but horrific situations. This isn't just like, you know, a little molestation. Horrific situations. And, but because of him, I am who I am. And because of who I am, thousands are able to release themselves and become what I call superhuman. But, you know, they're, they're able to become themselves and become the best you you can be right they become the best they them them they can be so i don't know but i mean for anybody whether you've gone through trauma or not the, the reality of the situation is start looking at this at the the obstacles in your life and and start looking at the problems in your life and start seeking the solutions and finding the positivity because when you do that, you create a different energy, a different aura, a different perspective, whatever you want to call it. But things change overnight. I mean, this is an instant thing. And and the more you practice that, and the more you and start with little things. You know, you're in traffic, right? I mean, LA is two hours from me, and hmm. I went to I went to LA last night, and it's like holy crap. You know, it's like, but what what choice do you have? You're going to honk your horn, flip somebody off, you know, get all pissed off? Or are you going to say, you know what? I'm in this opportunity. I can either make a phone call to a long, you know, a friend I haven't talked to. I can call my mom. I can listen to music. I can think. I can ponder. I can relax. I can slow down. There's, there's nothing I can do. But where's the positivity? Start something as simple as that. And this isn't hebe I'm not a big self-help guy. I, I, I think that whole industry is, <laughs> is a crockpot on a lot of it. But um, NLP and all that stuff is, is a powerful tool, and they're using it to make billions of dollars. But the, the point is, is that there is some simplicity in just, you know, the simple things of life. And one of the simple things of life is look at the positive. And if I can look at a positive of of a situation from my childhood, Mm -hmm. then anyone can. And it's not a comparison of my childhood's harder than yours. In fact, if you study me, you'll know I have a whole thing called the Elmo effect, which is a whole long story. But I believe that every single trauma affects everyone equally and there's no level of like, Oh, you were molested seven times. Well, I was molested 13 times. So my life sucks more than yours. That's garbage. Um, you know, and even if you weren't like, Oh, you, you know, you just didn't get your, that's why I call it the Elmo doll. You just didn't get your Elmo doll on your eighth birthday. You know, I mean that, that can still hurt someone. There's still pain there. There's still trauma there. So we've all had trauma. Mm-hmm. Just start looking at the positivity of the situations. And then, again, that communication with your core, and you start to have this symbiotic relationship where things just morph, things just change, and it becomes this you know, this, this power statement where now you're in control. You're with power. And, and then the whole process of that is, is that you have to be honest with yourself so you can be honest with other people. Through honesty comes clarity. Through clarity comes power. You know, it's a process. It's not just like, oh, yep, okay, you know, here it is. It's a process, and it's a practice. Man. Hold
3: up.
2: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's
2: firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep
0: Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. I want to talk about what it is that drives somebody to that level of darkness that they figure that it's not worth it to continue.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, you know, I, I just had a uh, Prince E who's a good friend of mine. He's a, like a spoken word artist on mm. YouTube. Amazing, amazing man. He just posted for us, uh, one of the stats, right? 13, every 13 minutes a child commits suicide. And, I don't know. It's gotten two, three thousand shares so far, and made our lives a little crazy at the organization because it went viral a little bit for us. And um, what was interesting was the, some of the comments. There was one particular commenter on there. If anyone goes and looks at his timeline, you'll know who I'm talking about. That just basically said, you know, everyone who commits suicide is weak. Everyone who commits suicide is horrible. Everyone who commits suicide is is evil. And you know, we all have pain. It was, this guy was, and he was like one of those trolls, you know, mm-hmm. that just like comments on everyone's comments. Um, and I wanted to you know find him, beat him, and and take care of him um in the backyard, but I won't do that. <laughs> um, I'll just hire someone too. But anyway, the uh the the reality is is that got me thinking about you know just people's perspective, and and unfortunately, anyone who is of faith and in a religion will hear that suicide is you know so evil, and you're evil for even thinking about it, and. And I want to just say that that probably means that 7.4 billion people on the planet, there's 7.6, that 7.4 billion people on the planet are, are evil. Because if we all got honest with ourselves, there's a moment where we've thought, I'll just drive off the cliff, you know? And and again, there's different levels of this, right? But you had the thought, so thus you must be evil. And that's how I combat that. And I've said that in churches and it's actually quite interesting Uh, It kind of goes back to the, you know, if any of you have not committed sin, you know, cast the first stone kind of thing. This is a reality that, that happens. You know, death seems to be an escape. Um, some people are terrified of death. Some people are excited for death. Some people, you know, uh, welcome death. Some people don't understand death. But death is an escape. Whether we want to admit it or not, it's an escape from whatever reality that we live in. And if we're living in an amazing reality, it's a negative escape because we don't want it to end, you know? So, but if we're living in a reality that's horrific, if you're living in a situation where you're all alone, you feel like you're weird, you're crazy, you're, you're you know, you're inadequate then you want to escape that reality. And death is an escape. Mm -hmm. So when you understand that simplicity of it, suicide makes sense. And, And that really sounds morbid, but it makes sense. Because it's like, I'm living in this horrible situation. So it just makes sense for me to escape this situation. I mean, human beings do not. If it's too hot, we find a way to cool down. If it's too cold, we find a way to warm up. Like, we don't like being uncomfortable. It's not in our DNA. It's not how we were, it's not, if we're hungry, we seek food. You know, I mean, if we're horny, we seek sex. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's how human beings operate. So why is it that we can't say, to, that we can't understand that if you're miserable and you're in so much pain and turmoil and you feel alone and you feel hopeless and you feel worthless and you feel all these things, why is it so irrational for somebody to say that, that the escape of death is, is uncomprehendable? it's very, I mean, it's, it's very understood. So the reality of the situation is, is it comes down to helping an individual who's struggling with suicide or depression, Mm -hmm. understand that they have worth and worth is a big topic. We could do an entire podcast on worth because the world that we live in every message, which some say our teens are getting about 19,000 of these a month Every message that is created by a organism or an organization that is trying to sell you something uses one particular technique. And it's the technique that, in, that triggers the hormones, the chemicals, the thought processes of telling us that we are not enough, that we do not have enough, that we're not in, in you know, the status of being enough. And I don't care what brand you look at. Coca-Cola, right? Enjoy life. Drink Coke. Subliminally means if you're not drinking Coke, you're not enjoying your life. You're not having, you're not having enough fun. Alcohol, another big one, right? Mm-hmm. You can't party without drinking. You can't have enough fun unless you're drunk. Like, I'm sorry, I, I drink a little bit, you know, drink too. I've been to a lot of parties where people get drunk and then I ask them the next morning, how much fun did you have? I don't remember anything. Oh, fantastic. You know, so again, but we're sold that. So we're constantly sold that we're not enough. Now, my generation, we didn't have the internet like we do. We didn't have social media. We didn't have on-demand TV. We didn't have all these different messages. We didn't have programming. And we used to have commercials, Mm -hmm. and you you could either walk away from a commercial, watch a commercial, tune out a commercial, whatever. Now, television programming has figured out people don't watch commercials. So guess what most television programming is? It's a freaking commercial. And it's not even a commercial in the sense that people think it is. It's a a psychological fuckfest is really what it is. Pardon my language. But it really is because what they're doing to you is they're finding ways to make you feel inadequate and then implanting brands that are there to make you feel like, oh, that's the solution. So the feeling of worth is so powerful. It's so, you know, it's it's it it really is the core of everything that we're talking about here. And, and the simplicity is, is that we've also gone away from the concept of building things mm-hmm. as, as a human. You know, think about it. I don't care how you think we got here, but when we landed here on earth, the first thing we started doing was digging in the ground and planting seeds and watching it grow and then eating it and saying, well, that was cool. Let's do it again. And we had a sense of self-satisfaction. We had a, self of, uh, a sense of belonging. We had a sense of worth. And so in that worth, we created our self-esteem. Well, what are we building? What does the average person build? Nothing. We used to play with blocks when we were a kid and use our imaginations and build you know castles and lands and all. Now we don't have to use our imaginations. We can just jump in and it doesn't surprise me that games like um, Minecraft are so uh, so popular, mm-hmm. is because they force the brain to use imagination, whereas a game like World of Warcraft is actually, which is still popular, but popular for another reason. It's an alternate universe. It's an alternate reality. And so you know, you have these things going on. But we, we're not playing with blocks and we're not in the dirt. And so worth is just becoming harder and harder and harder for us to find. But without worth, we feel hopeless. When we feel hopeless, we want an escape. When we want an escape, you look at suicide. So if you want to solve the problem, play in dirt and play with blocks. You know, I mean, <laughs> really, it's really what it comes down to. But for people to say, I don't get why somebody would commit suicide, first and foremost, you do. Because if you're honest with yourself, you've had a thought, a moment, a idea, a joke, a concept where you've said, oh, it would just be easier if I wasn't here or maybe I'll just die or this is stupid or whatever. You've had that momentary thought. Now, the difference is, is that if you were living in, it and your brain was having some chemical issues – where you're, you know, you wiring, it maybe not, isn't quite functioning correctly. Uh, maybe you're, you know, the food that you're eating is messing with you. There could be a thousand different reasons. You have some genetic things, you have some social things, you have some environmental things. There could be a million different reasons, but if you've got just things aren't firing correctly, then guess what? Solution could be suicide. And, and the cure, the, the, the way for everyone to solve this problem is to help everyone in their circle, in their community feel worth, feel like they're important, feel like they're loved, feel like they're enough. If you run onto somebody who's struggling and having a hard time, you don't need to know all the magic things to say. You don't need to be poetic. I'll tell you the secret. You need to put your arms around them and you need to say, you are enough. You are enough. That can change a, a person's course of life forever, forever forever. And it's, no one needs to be poetic. You are enough and a hug, done. You can save a life that simply. The problem is, is that you have to take the action and the energy to be in the place that you recognize when somebody is, is struggling. And you know what? I tell people that just drop that line to somebody in their Facebook every once in a while. You know, just randomly select someone in your Facebook and just shoot them a message that says, hey, Tim, haven't talked to you in a while. I just wanted to let you know that you're awesome and that, you know... I love having your friendship and I love everything that you're doing. I mean, just that kind of a message could, you just don't know the impact of simplicity that you can have on somebody's life. Don't overcomplicate the human. The human is a very simple organism. We need to eat. We need to have sex. We need to sleep and we need to feel like we're wanted. Those four things were pretty good. I mean, shelter, you know, but we can find shelter under a tree. I mean, the reality is, is that if we have those four things, then everything else kind of just falls into place. We want to overcomplicate it because we're curious beings and we want to be like, oh, it can't be that easy. Wow.
0: Uh, A lot of things that I have to say about this. One is around sort of the, the stigma that we've carried around mental illness or depression, uh, which I, I actually think has done as a huge disservice. Um, you know, I come from a culture where it's extremely looked down upon. And it's really interesting to hear you say so many people have had, you know, really, really dark thoughts. And I, you know, for the first time in my life, dealt with a period of extreme depression where I couldn't sleep Uh, you know, I, I remember a friend who was my business partner, he saw a picture of us on the beach and he said, you look emaciated in this picture. He said, go see your doctor. (laughs) He said, I was waking up literally every night with heart palpitations. And you know, the funny thing is I did everything I could to avoid making that trip to a doctor's office because of the stigma that would come with taking medications. I even sent my little sister who was a doctor, a text saying, is this shit only for crazy people? Mm -hmm. And she said, there's plenty of highly functioning people, probably people you know, even people I work with who are on medication. Yeah. It, and it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I think that, you know, fortunately, we're finally shifting to a place where it's okay. But I, I really, really appreciate the fact that you brought up this notion of, of worthiness because, God, I mean, think about like how the internet perpetuates your sense of lack of self-worth. Everybody mm-hmm. is always up to something far more epic than you are.
1: Exactly. And, and the reality is, is that there's no truth in that. Yeah. You know, I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, it's the, the, uh, I'm not sure on the age, I think it's, uh, eight to 21 or whatever. The female takes 21 minutes to post a selfie on Instagram, 21 Jeez. minutes. Are you kidding me? Wow. And, and there was a child in, in, uh, Seattle, a male who, um, nearly died. He attempted suicide. They were able to revive him and save his life. And then when they went through the treatment, started talking to him, like, why did you, you know, there was obviously a lot of different reasons, but why that day did you decide to, you know, take the action to kill yourself? And he had locked himself in his room for eight or 10 hours trying to take the perfect selfie to share it. He couldn't get the perfect selfie. So he felt inadequate and he wanted to kill himself. Um, it's real. And it's a, it's a, two-sided double-edged sword whatever in the sense that the stigma protected the reality of the human mind and and it it served a point to some degree that look there are some people who definitely have mental illness definitely have chemical uh defects in their brains that they that is not their fault you know that could be from you know parents uh situations could be from the way the child was conceived could be from a gazillion different things uh, could just be the bad luck of the draw i mean there's there there is that reality there's also the reality that you know everyone suffers from a little bit of depression here or there in their lives the thing that we have to be careful about is not going on the extremes of both sides you know the stigma of you're crazy and you should right. be in a loony bin in a white you know jacket if you take any kind of antidepressant or you or you admit to anyone that you've thought about ending your life or that you, you know, have voices in your head. I remember when I was seven years old and I was finding religion, I was born into a Catholic family and then, you know, religion was used against me in so many different ways. And then when I was kind of, after I was abandoned, I was, I was a very, um, old soul, uh, you know, at four years old, I was actually a babysitter to my three younger siblings. So that tells you how old they were. Um, So I I understood a lot of different things. So at seven years old, I had this passion to understand God and understand religion and understand the whole effed up world of churches and, you know, all this stuff. And so I started researching and I started reading and I started reading all kinds of different books and the Bible and all this stuff. And I told one of my therapists, I said, you know, I was reading this thing and I wouldn't tell him what book I was reading because they were all, you know, most of them were atheists, uh, which I later found out but uh, I just had a feeling like don't tell them about you know what I'm reading. I just said I'm reading this book that talks about having a spirit with you or having a voice with you that's mm-hmm. what I said and I think I can hear that voice and I can it te- it's telling me to not be in these circumstances it's telling me that I'm okay it's telling me that I'm loved it's telling me everything's okay. I told that to a counselor, and I have a, in my closet, I have all the files from when I was a kid in these hospitals. (laughs) They immediately put me into testing for schizophrenic behaviors and all these other labels, because I had voices in my head. Mm. And so immediately I was classified as weird and psychotic and crazy, and and the reality is is that I was beginning to have a conversation with myself, with, with something greater. And and these were positive things that were being said. So who cares if I have voices in my head? They're they're telling me I'm awesome. So I want those voices every day, you know. But the reality is, is that we go too far on that side. Then we go clear over here where everyone has depression, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother too far because now now you are declassifying something that's very serious. Now you're taking away the power of somebody saying I feel depressed. You know, saying I feel depressed should be very carefully used, and I'm not belittling anyone who does it, but the reality is is that real depression, somebody who's suffering with depression, which sounds like you went through, where you literally can't get yourself out of bed, where you literally feel like everything you do is, is for no purpose. You feel your energy is sucked away from you. Your existence is, is futile. You know what I mean? You, just everything that you're doing has no purpose, has no meaning, that's depression. It's dark, it's dreary, it's, it's, it's agonizing, it's horrible. You know, it, it's undescribable unless you've lived it. And then so for somebody who's like, oh, I just broke up with my boyfriend, I feel so depressed. And it's like, you know, look, y- yes, you, you have similar chemical reactions because you've, you've had a letdown. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could slip into depression, and I'm not belittling that you don't have these feelings, but the reality is is that you're not depressed, you're sad. And th- th- those are differences. And so we need to create this movement of saying it's okay to feel these feelings, but also being careful that we don't over-exaggerate the situation so that people that have these conditions, that are literally going through these feelings, can't feel and share those. Because I'll tell you what happens, is that I remember when I was younger, and I was going through high school, and a girl in my school uh, talked about being raped, um, she'd been raped. She was a, she was a cheerleader and she was raped by a football player. And, you know, she got up and told this amazing story of being raped. And it was like, wow, that was powerful. And everyone like circled around her and they felt like, you know, everyone, everyone just loved her. And I was kind of sitting there being like, you know, maybe I can share my story. You know, those of you that went to high school with me have no idea my life I lived. In fact, a lot of them are my friends now and they're blown away. But anyway, my fact is the, the point is, is that what ended up happening is she wasn't really raped. What ended up happening is that she had sex and her dad found out and, you know, she had to make up this thing that she was raped and no one found out about that till, you know, years later. But I remember sitting there, you know, thinking about it and, and then people around the school. So this happened in this one class, this one moment, everyone was loving her, but then people around the school started making fun of her and they started putting up posters, you know, for a good time, call this person. And, uh, they, you know, and it became a bullying thing and it became really bad and, And I sat there and I thought, and I was like, oh my gosh, like she just had sex with one of the football players. If people know what happened to me, like what are they gonna do to me? Like what are they gonna say about me? What are they gonna, what are they gonna, what posters are gonna be made up about, you know, Wes? Like what's gonna happen? I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut because I don't wanna go down that path. And so the reality is if sometimes if we give too much attention to the wrong thing, we actually hurt the things that we're trying to give attention to if that makes sense. So <clears throat> if we're saying that everyone suffers with depression, then those that really suffer with depression are going to say, well then hell, that person is able to function and do a video and say these things and be this kind of a person. So what am I suffering with? You know, I must be I must be morbidly depressed. I must be horrible. I must be this, you know, so we have to be very careful about this conversation. Mm-hmm. And and the reality is is that in the conversation we need to be able to be politically incorrect. We need to be honest. We need to be raw uh, so that we can have this. I mean, a, a great example of, of, this is amazing, that's what's happening in the mental uh, illness world. It's amazing. But a great example is what we've seen happen now in our lifetime over the last 20 years in the, in the uh, gay and lesbian community. And I mean no disrespect to them at all, and I, and I believe wholeheartedly that they have a choice and they, they, they are deserving of those choices, but I work with youth on a daily basis who are living in kind of a worthless state of existence. That's how they feel. And I can tell you that last week alone, I had four youth come to me and tell me about their parents and what was going on. And and these four youth were not being abused. Uh, They were being neglected, which is abuse, but they weren't being physically abused. They had a loving mom and dad, quote unquote. They seemed like a good little family, but they were suicidal. They were going through their problems. In fact, two of them, Two youth are coming to my house tonight, who I'm going to be working with on this on these on this similar type of case. Good family, whatever. But these four youth came to me last week, all independent, all from different sides of the country. One was actually not even in the United States. And they all told me, you know what? I don't. I can't seem to get attention. I can't seem to. Nobody seems to want to hear me. So I'm going to tell everyone I'm gay. And I was like, Are you? Are you gay? No but it's a way that I can get attention. And there's clubs and there's things that I can do and there's ways that I can feel like I'm wanted if I tell people I'm gay. Mm. Now, no one in the gay and lesbian community wants that. No one in the world wants that. The reality of the psychological emphasis that we're putting on that topic, however, in our world and how our children are receiving that It's very interesting. And I did a whole podcast on, you know, Christians and gays and gays don't hate the Christians and Christians don't hate the gays. We all need to get along. But the vamboyantness of the topic can actually create the opposite effect of what you're trying to say and what you're trying to do. You know, gay is is not a choice, right? It's something that you're born with. That's the movement. That's what we're trying to say. Well, people are making the choice based on the feeling of worthlessness, Mental illness is not a choice. It's not something that you wake up and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to feel depressed today and I'm going to feel suicidal. That's my day. That's what I'm thinking. No, it's something that happens over time. But again, if we go to one extreme or the other, that's where we create the chaos. That's where we create the problems. So, I mean, again, I'm not saying things that are politically correct. People are not going to agree with me. That's okay. Okay. Um, I'll be right whether I'm dead or not because I know that this is going to happen to the human mind. It happens over and over again. We can look at history, and I'm not being cocky. It's just, it's we can't we can't under uh, appreciate, we can't under focus on it, but we can't also over. You know, we we have to be in the real spot. We have to be in the reality, and and it doesn't mean we have to devalue devalue somebody who's broke up with their boyfriend and that they're feeling sad. They need love. They need attention. You know, one of, one of the interviews I just did with the uh, founder of Bethel Church, which, which uh, no religious thing, I was just curious on his organization, he said, you know, this whole concept of everyone saying, oh, you just want attention. You just want attention. He said, yeah, I loved his analogy. He said, that's like walking by somebody who's drowning in a pool, like a swimming pool, and saying, what, you just want air? Like, get over yourself. It's like, no, human beings need attention. We just talked about that. You know, it's one of the four needs. You need to feel wanted. You need to feel... It's not that you want attention. You need attention. So what's the worst thing as another human being that somebody's doing something like cutting or somebody's doing something like saying they're going to commit suicide or saying that they're sad because what's the worst thing that you can do and just be like, hey, you don't need to do that. It's okay. Like, seriously? Yeah, maybe you're going to feed into their want or into their over exuberated, you know, desire to have attention, but for some reason in their life, they're not getting it. So maybe if you give them a little bit, maybe that'll help them move forward. And what have you got to lose? Like if they become, you know, a little annoying or get a little too, you know, whatever, and they, they bake boundaries, block them, you know, at least you did something. I mean, there's no harm in giving somebody attention. There just isn't, with boundaries you know don't be stupid like patch adams Mm -hmm. you know that whole story she gave the attention in the wrong way and she ended up dying you know i tell that to my fiance all the time like you you have to have boundaries you need to be safe you you know but a facebook message somebody's having a bad day and don't publicly put it on their page message them message them and say hey i saw that you posted that thing that you hate your life you know i just wanted to let you know that You don't need to hate your life and you can be amazing. And if they write you back some crazy thing, you can be like, hey, I'm just here to help you. And and I really want to stay positive in this. Just, you know, and if they keep going, that's what the block button's for. But it doesn't hurt you. I mean, and and I'm telling you, I've done this a gazillion times on Facebook and I can tell you how many people are now great friends of mine, how many people are amazing allies of my stuff and things that I share. But more importantly, they are now in control of themselves and they are becoming the best them they can be. And it's amazing. And all I said was, hey, you know, I saw you're having a bad day. I just wanted to let you know that I care. I just wanted to let you know that I really, I really think you can turn this around. I believe in you. That's it. That's it. That's how simple it is. And it's real too. I'm not BSing just for, you know, likes on Facebook. Like it's really how I feel. So
0: two final questions and we'll, we'll get things wrapped up here because we're well over an hour, but you've just been kind of dishing so many poetic nuggets that I don't want to stop. Um, one of the things that is really interesting to me is you get to this moment where you've got an 80% chance of death and a 20% chance of living. And that becomes a moment of a drastic identity shift. And I'm interested in how we create those kinds of drastic shifts in our lives.
1: You know, I think that there's a cycle, uh, right? And and if we look at history, any great civilization, I don't care what it is, um, has, has this same cycle. But I it's the hero cycle. It's the same concept. Every, every storybook, every big, every big uh, story that we ever write, anything that comes out of Hollywood that has to do with this, has this same cycle. And that cycle is, is that you're at some level of success. Okay. So let's just say birth, right? Birth is a success. You're here. You're on the planet. You made it. Um, you know, for wh- however you believe in that, you're here. So, boom, first success. Pretty heroic. And then things start happening, and you know, maybe you get molested, or maybe you get abused, or maybe something happens to you, or maybe nothing happens to you. Maybe life just happens to you, and you know, this or that or whatever. Things just start beating you down. Then you come to this moment, you know, it's this, it's this moment that, that all civilizations have, all heroes have, all stories have, and, and, rea- and the reality is all unique individuals have this exact same opportunity. You come to this moment where you're basically, you know, as far as, a, as a, an analogy, you're laying on the floor and all you can do is look up, you know, and it's just like you're just laying there and, and you're paralyzed, and you're looking up at all the things you wish you could have or all the things you hope you could have or all the things that you desire to have, but they're just so unobtainable because you're lying there on your back. And, and every moment has this, you know, Unbroken, the, the movie, the book, you know, talks about this. You're there and the decision is do you stand up and start fighting for those things that you want, hope, and desire? Or do you still lay there and keep looking at all the things that you hope, want, and desire? And that's really the simplicity of it. And when we read about the great heroes and we, we see the stories, they all make that decision. And then they make that decision in that lowest of points. And everyone has that moment. Everyone has that time. It could be a bankruptcy, a divorce. It could be a death. It could be a, you know, a near-death experience. It could be, there's so many different things. But every single human being has that. And I think it's, it's intentional. It's part of the process you know, again, we have a great success from the moment that we're born. So anything after that could be a letdown. I mean, goodness, you're in the womb and you're sitting there having a conversation with yourself. You're like, this is pretty cool. I'm just floating around in here. This is awesome. I'm getting all the food that I want. Everything's great. You know, and then you come out of the birth canal and you come into the world and you're like, what the hell is this place? You know, it's like you, you, you've, you've achieved something, but at the same time, it's like, wait, is this what I wanted? Let me back in, you know? And, and I think that, that's that's in design that it's like look you've you're you're having this time with yourself you're coming into this world with other people and you these other people may you know infect and affect you as you go along in this world and then you get to this moment where you're on your back and you're looking up and you're saying what do I do and there's nobody else that can do anything for you and I think that that's the illusion that people have is that someone else is going to perpetuate you to success and that our society is such a society of victimness. It drives me nuts. Like the bullying campaigns are all about the victim. Stop it. Stop talking about the victim because all we do is we amplify victimness. And there's nothing that, yes, there's victims. Yes, there's people that have been through things, but us amplifying their victim mentality is not going to help them. It's not serving them in any way, shape or form. And so as you're lying on your back, it's up to you. You must make the decision. Am I going to lie here and keep dreaming or am I going to stand up and start taking action? And when you stand up, you've already succeeded. When you stand up, you've already been successful. When you stand up, you're already the hero. Whatever happens to you next is part of the journey of being a hero. You are now classified as a hero. The second you stand up, you are a hero. And there is so much power in that. Now all of a sudden, when you have to make the decision, do you let the school bus fall or do you save your girlfriend? An analogy to Spider-Man. Like, what, What do you do here, right? And it's like, I'm a hero, so guess what? I'm gonna save both of you. I'm gonna save both because I can do it. There's power in that. There's power in just the, just the concept that you can do that. So the second you stand up, you've already become a hero. So now everything else is easy. You, you know, the hard part's over. You've stood up. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna have to make those hard decisions. It doesn't mean that, but guess what? You can achieve, you can make it happen. And even if you quote unquote fail and it doesn't work out exactly how you want it, guess what? The worth is in the journey. The worth is in standing up. The worth is in the exploration. The worth isn't necessarily in the outcome. It's just not. And, and that is a different clarity. So to everyone who is sitting there saying, how the hell do I make a shift in my life? How the hell do I change things? Look at yourself. Get off the freaking floor. Stand up and start taking action.
0: Hmm. Wow. I have one other question and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, and this is about sort of this dichotomy of reality and fiction that you are living in where you're this guy who wears a suit. What's funny? Cause I had a Barney Stinson moment. You started thinking about yeah, yeah, oh, yeah.
1: your mother when you mentioned that Barney he actually used to be like, people would compare me to him, him and catch <laughs> me if we can guy. So that's hilarious. Um, uh,
0: you know wrestling with that dichotomy of this high powered guy who shows up in a suit who's working with all these corporations and at the same time going home and being a person who is suicidally depressed and how you deal with that
1: i didn't i mean that that's the reality is is that that's that's an impossible thing to deal with because you're lying right and you're lying to the you're lying to the core going back to the definition of honesty to accept the transparent reality of your core identity I wasn't accepting the, the the transparency of my identity. I was trying to create an identity that I thought would be accepted by the rest of the world, but in reality, you know, I was fake. And so I, I wasn't succeeding. I, I was doing the exact opposite. I was I was completely dissolving myself of any existence that I had the opportunity to have. And the the moment in which I understood that it was okay, you know, in the moment that I understood that I could be me. Is, is the moment that I was truly free. you know, And, and, and the piece that I just wrote, read, uh, I, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I tell this whole story of, of committing suicide and and saying that I just wanted to die that day. Well, in reality, I did die because that part of my life, that part of my existence, that part of, of this, this fakeness that I was trying to create died. And so I did this fun little thing where I took one of my $3,000 suits and I burnt it, literally. I, I created a video and I burnt it um, in my backyard and put it on video and then I actually ended up catching my house on fire. So it's kind of funny, but, um, I saved my house, but anyway, it was funny. So, um, but my suit goes up in flames and it was this, it was this empowering moment where I was saying, look, nothing against suits. I still have a bunch of them. I still like wearing them occasionally. Um, I look hot in suits, so it's good. But you know, the (laughs) the fact is, is that it was freeing for me to stop playing the game of being those two different people and just, and, and in that freedom actually came a lot of healing in that freedom came even more of a conversation with my core in that healing came more of an, of, of a true purpose of my existence. You know, it was so liberating that it was, that, that it was amazing. But to answer your question is that it's impossible. You cannot play, you know, the two sided card, it just doesn't work. And so many people unfortunately try to do that and, and life will catch up to you. I was lucky enough. I was lucky enough that in, in my daughter was instrumental in the in the you know, sixteen I had this big shift and started working through it. My daughter when I was twenty-five when she was born, and she was instrumental. Her coming onto this planet <laughs> I Told you I cry, I about my kids, but her coming onto this planet was instrumental in me starting to be okay with who I was. Because the simplicity of her rolling over, of her crawling, of her putting her hands behind her head when she slept, the way she winked her eyes, the way she, you know, the way that she ate her food, there were similarities to me. And that was a freeing moment for me to be like, if I can love her because she's herself, which is, has some aspects like me, then maybe I can be loved for being me. And that was a shift in my mind, and I started exploring that conversation. And then, you know, three or four years later, I burnt a suit. So it, it it enabled me to release that, enabled me to be okay with that. But you can't play both sides; it's impossible. Life will catch up to you. I was lucky enough; it happened young. I work with people on a daily basis who are in their fifties, sixties, and they're they're running, and now life is catching up to them. And and they have so many, you know, pieces that they have to pick up and so many things that they have to change and so many things that, so much collateral damage that didn't need to be there if somebody would have just said, it's okay to be you. And that is so liberating and that is so powerful. And so to anyone who's out there, who's trying to play these two worlds, just stop it. Just, just be yourself. The world does not dictate who you need to be and don't go extreme. You know, yourself, maybe that you need, you know, seven, seven inch gauges in your ears. I don't know. But the reality is it probably not. The reality is you're probably doing things like that because you want attention that you're not getting. And that's kind of, you know, crazy behavior that people are going to give you attention for girls put some clothes on, you know, you know, I'm sorry, daddy didn't give you a hug. I'm sorry, daddy didn't love you, but you don't need to sell your body for attention. You know, these things. And if you, you know, if you, you're a surfer and you need to wear a bikini, that's perfectly fine. That's awesome. I'm not saying that, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with that. But if you're walking around at the mall with booty shorts on that shows your butt because you don't feel loved, stop. If you're walking around with booty shorts, cause you have a good butt and you want everyone to see it, that's a different story. But I'm just saying <laughs> like, you know, if, if it's, if it's inter- be honest with yourself, you know, these conversations happen with you, not me. They happen with you. So be honest with yourself. Why are you doing the things you're doing? And if you're doing them for attention, if you're doing them because you feel worthless, if you're doing them because you don't feel like you're being yourself and no one's listening to you, then stop it. Stop it immediately and start being who you are and seek someone who will give you the love and attention you need. Find a community. That's my entire mission in life is to build a community of empowered human beings. Find a community that will love you and support you for being who you are and stop playing the games of the double-sided card. So,
0: I want to finish with one last question, which is how we finish everything here, yeah, you know, the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Uh, having a complete and total conversation with that core. Um I've always said, and you know, it's not a socialistic thing. It's, it's a humanistic thing is that we are not individuals. We are all unique, but we're a community. We really are. We're, we're a community that relies on each other. We're a community that needs each other. We're a community of, of people that cannot survive without the concept of other people. Individuality is, is something to be celebrated, but not in the way that we, not in the way that we've, used it in our current language, uniqueness is where it is. And so to be unmistakable is is to really have that conversation with your unique identity, with your core, so that you can share that with the world. Because if you don't know, if you can't communicate well with that, how are you going to regurgitate it with the rest of the world? You're not, and that's why seeking and understanding and hypnosis and NLP and self help and this and that and passion finding and all this crap is so successful, is because people don't want to have this real dark conversation with themselves, in order to empower themselves to have this clarity, to have this unmistakable characteristics, to be unique, and to be able to regurgitate that to the world. You know, I mean, it's it's so so important for people to understand that they have to choose insight over ultimate insanity you know unleashing your core and your power to the world cannot happen until you have chosen to have the insight of who you are rather than living in the insanity and the chaos of the world that people want you to believe believe in and that gives you the ability to heal the wounds and the scars and the pains in your life and when you have healing you have the ultimate control and understanding of your journey. You're no longer held by worthlessness, fear, hate, or remorse. You're living in a world of complete and total clarity, control, and power. And in that you can become unmistakably remarkable.
0: Damn. You got me at a loss for words. That doesn't happen too often. (laughs) Wes, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us to share your story, your journey and your insights with so much rawness, uh, with our listeners here at the unmistakable creative. This has been mind blowingly interesting and inspiring. And I think it's going to help a lot of people.
1: I hope so. And, and you can head over to superhuman dot life and I have a whole video course. It's all free. Um, I may be redoing it cause I did it a while ago, but, um, it's there it'll give you some glimpse into some of this stuff and then if you're you know interested in finding more about the movement and the nonprofit and the kickstarter thing you know that you mentioned too it's it's uh, a human project so uh, a a is an apple a humanproject.com. and we'd love any support we can get on you know carrying out this mission to help our youth not be suicidal and live a life of joy and happiness
0: awesome and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that